Well, once again, uh, good morning. And uh, today is a, uh, a special day for us. It's a one service Sunday as we gather, uh, as we do every weekend to be reminded of who God is and who we are and what God may be calling us into collectively. We're going to have a, a lunch afterwards, so hopefully you have some time in your, in your schedule today that you kind of created some space that we can uh, enjoy the lunch, enjoy the good weather. It's going to be outside. Last time we had one of these stinking thunderstorms came in and took our, our joy and stuff. But we're going to be outside, and so it should be a good day. And so hopefully you got some space in your schedule, like I said, to just enjoy the afternoon, enjoy some time with us, connect with each other, maybe connect with someone that you haven't seen in a long time, maybe meet somebody brand new who's here for the very first Sunday. Uh, and I want to make sure that you know that you're welcome and, and enjoy the rest of the afternoon uh, together as we go. But we're in the series that we're calling Abraham, where we're looking at Abraham's life as, as it kind of travels through uh, and what it looks like for us to live a life of faith. What it looks like for us to have a journey with Jesus or a journey with God that we can understand a deep and a robust and, and life-giving faith. And our journey, as, as with Abraham, our journey begins when we acknowledge that God exists. And in a culture of a myriad of gods and things that kind of vie for our attention and things that try to grab us and, and to make us kind of uh, want them to be number one priority, we believe that God exists over everything else. And that the one true living creator God not only exists, but he loves us. That he cares deeply about each one of us. And that he has a plan for each one of us. And that plan includes a great blessing beyond we can ever, all that we can ever imagine or dream. And we have this promise of God's presence with us throughout all of our life. Abraham is a man of deep faith. And a faith not just believing that God exists, but a belief that he uh, exists and wants best for us and desires a relationship with us. And he exists to have a relationship with us and promises to be near us and with us throughout all of life's ups and downs. So our faith, like Abraham's, our faith is an active thing. The more we exercise our faith, we deepen our relationship with God. And the more we experience God to be faithful and to be good and to be true to his promises. And this is what we see in Abraham's life. And this is what we experience in our own life with him. Well, last week we saw Abraham has this kind of stumbling faith. And he reverts to his old ways of deception and self-protection. And if you've missed a Sunday or two uh, in this series, I encourage you to go to our website, limacrossroads.org. And there you can get information about not only about the church, but you can find uh, the videos and the podcasts of all of our sermons. And you can kind of catch, your, catch yourself up. But here we, in this uh, passage that Jake read earlier, you have Abraham leaving or coming back to Canaan, where kind of where it all started. And he kind of comes back and he worships the Lord again. He, gets, he kind of gets things right. See, last week we saw how Abraham uh, stumbled along in his faith because of this crisis that he faced, this crisis of famine where everything was not there and things were kind of, uh, you know, the land wasn't producing what it was supposed to. Well, this week we see a different kind of crisis in Abraham's life because Abraham had become really wealthy, the Scripture says, that he has a lot of livestock and lots of stuff. And so now he has a crisis of faith, not a crisis whereas before it was a crisis of famine, who's going to provide for him, but now it's a crisis of wealth and prosperity. And how is he going to deal with that? 
So it poses a different kind of crisis, but nonetheless, it's a crisis of faith. And how is he going to trust God in the midst of everything around him being provided for? So as we get started this morning, let's pray and then we'll get into it. Jesus, thank you for today, for our fellowship, for our friendship, for this church. And uh, Father, we thank you for the scriptures and the stories that uh, we are reminded of your faithfulness. Help us to be faithful people. Help us to be people that know how to follow you well. It's in your name and pray. Amen. Well, as I said, Abraham and this whole endeavor had gotten himself really wealthy. He and his nephew Lot and their herds and just really wealthy. So much so, the scripture says that the land could not handle both of them. And so uh, they had to kind of uh, deal with this kind of crisis, this problem of having so much. And Abraham and Lot kind of display two opposing views of approaching life, two different ways in which they were going to approach life. While Abraham kind of trips up and he stumbles along the way, as we saw last week, still he's a person who's in the trajectory of faith and trajectory of trying to pursue God as best as he can. When Lot, on the other hand, is a story of continually walking by sight, by what he can see in front of him, not really walking by faith. He looks at the temporal or the earthly things, and he just simply lives by that standard. And the Apostle Paul, in the letter to his friends in the Corinthian church, tells them that we are to be people, that we as followers of God are to be people who walk by faith, not people who walk by sight. That we are to be people who walk with an eternal perspective, not people who walk with just a, a earthly or temporal perspective. We are to be people who are confident in God's promises and confident in God's goodness no matter what happens in our life. And it's that kind of perspective that changes everything of how we handle everyday experiences, everyday decisions, everyday ups and downs, how we handle our money, how we handle conflict, how we handle life's decisions are changed if we have an eternal perspective or if we have an earthbound perspective. And in this interaction between Abraham and Lot, we see two very different approaches to life and a few things that we can learn about how we live our life faithfully to God in the midst of everyday circumstances. So there's a few things I want us to highlight or a few things I want us to notice. And the first one is the danger of greed and the gift of generosity. The danger of greed and while the gift of of generosity. This is what Pastor Jake was trying to help us grapple with earlier this morning about which one of these two decisions, if you were the one to make the decision, and if you were the one who's going to take whatever's left, how do you approach that kind of decision? And when faced with this kind of option, Lot chose greed over gratitude, wealth over family, trusting in himself rather than trusting in God to provide. Lot had become really wealthy, and most of it he had become wealthy in large degree because of his, his uncle Abraham and because of following with Abraham. And rather than yielding the better land to his uncle, rather than yielding to the one who kind of helped him establish all this way, Lot chose the immediate, the temporal, the earthbound, the right now, and he chose greed over gratitude. Notice what the scripture said. It said that Lot chose for himself all of the Jordan Valley, all that was there. He chose for himself all that was there. See, what we see in Lot's life is this sort of obsession with greed, this kind of obsession with the immediate fix, just let me get it right now. That's going to be a problem through his whole life. And it would be part of his complete undoing 
as we'll see in just a few chapters to go. This is what happens with greed. This is what happens all the time. It's very, very dangerous. And it makes all sorts of claims on us, demands on us. And while there's really nothing inherently wrong with having things, Abraham was completely wealthy as well, and he's not condemned for having as much as he has. It's not a bad thing to have a whole lot of things. But if we are not careful, wealth can change from a blessing to an idol in the blink of an eye. If we are not careful, wealth and having things and possessions can change from a blessing to an idol at the blink of an eye, and it can be something that we protect at all costs, and it can drive a wedge between families, between couples, between us and God, and it makes all sorts of claims and demands on our life. And greed is all around us, and it tempts us to believe that life will be found when we get all that we possibly can, and we choose for ourselves the very best. While Abraham, on the other hand, displays an eternal perspective, humbly yields the decision to Lot. He trusts that God's going to provide for him no matter what, no matter where he is. While he has possessions and money, the possessions and money that Abraham has, they don't own him. He holds them with a loose hand. And truth be told, if I'm just being honest with you, truth be told, I'm often a whole lot more like Lot than I am like Abraham. And I possibly, maybe you're in that same ball too. And I just want to suggest for us that our life, our best life, your best life and my best life will never ex- be experienced when we don't guard against this danger, this disease of greed in our life. When we don't guard against it, we will never experience, I will never experience the greatness and the best life that God has for me. And from what I can tell, the best remedy for this disease of greed is what we see in Abraham. And that is to learn the gift of generosity. Learn the gift of generosity. Author Richard Foster writes this about money and the the way in which it can grab a hold of us. He writes it this way. Without a question, money has taken on a sacred character in our world. And it would do us good to find ways to defame it, defile it, and trample under it. Trample it under our feet. So step on it. Yell at it. Laugh at it. List it way down the scale of values, certainly far below friendship and cheerful surroundings. And engage in the most profane act of all. Give it away. I think there's wisdom in those words. And for Lot, life was about the immediate, the right now choosing for himself what he saw right, in, right away in front of him. And his greed had tripped him up. Notice the foreshadowing, if you know anything of this story. Notice the foreshadowing. This, the scripture says this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and that the people in those cities were wicked and they sinned all the time. In the end, Lot's short-sightedness, his short-sighted, greed-filled heart would cost him nearly everything. In the end, because he was living for the temporal rather than the eternal. And with greed as his guide, he placed himself, he placed his family, and his whole future in jeopardy. And it doesn't really pan out well. Like I said, just a few chapters later, we'll see how his, un, his undoing and his demise. And so it's important to have a proper perspective on our riches. 
We need to recognize how wealth can be both a blessing and it can be a curse. And we need to walk that line finally. And we need to place our confidence in God and his provision. And so what I want us to see this morning as we look at this story is how we spend our money says a whole lot about our hearts and the spiritual issue at hand. It demonstrates whom we are trusting. If we're, if we're trusting our own circumstances, our own abilities, the, own, the own immediate stuff that's going on, or are we learning to trust in God to provide and sustain and produce things for us? Where do we need to go on this? So I have a question for you. In your faith journey, no matter where you are, how long you've been seeking to follow after Jesus, in your faith journey, how have you grown in regards to generosity? Generosity. In what ways may you need to learn the gift of generosity and admit the disease of greed? In what ways do we need to grow in this aspect? See, the first thing we notice in this story is the danger of greed. But there's a a second thing we notice, and that is that Abraham is a model for how we handle conflict wisely and graciously. How you handle conflict in your life, whether it's relational conflict with a, a child, with a spouse, with a neighbor, with a coworker, with a friend. But how we handle it wisely and graciously. The scene in this whole endeavor was set perfect for conflict to rise up. But Abraham senses what's going on. He sees what's happening. He hears the rumbling and he comes over and he speaks to Lot. So listen again in Genesis chapter 13, verses eight and nine. He says, let's not have any quarreling between me and you and me or between your herders and mine. For we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you. I mean, let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go right, I'll go to the left. See, in this, you kind of hear a a real good example of how to handle conflict appropriately. That believers are to be initiators of conflict resolution. Believers and, and people of faith are to be initiators of conflict resolution. Abraham took the initiative He didn't sit back on his chair and see how things all played out. He saw something beginning to rumble, beginning to happen, and between his herders and and Lot's herders, and rather than waiting for it to just explode on and before him and then have to clean up the whole mess, he makes a decision to initiate conflict resolution. And it demonstrates a kingdom principle that as believers, as people of faith, we are to seek to live in unity with one another. And where there is conflict, we ought to initiate resolution to that conflict. Where there's discord, we ought to walk towards it with a heart of reconciliation and restoration. This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer it to to God. As people of faith, friends, we are to prioritize harmony in our relationships. Not to just get walked all over, all that kind of stuff, but we are to recognize and to initiate reconciliation and conflict resolution. To not sit back and wait for the other person to act first. But as followers of God, we are to be people who initiate, regardless who's at fault. 
regardless who's the one who should be apologizing, regardless of how bad they've been treating me, we are to be initiators of conflict resolution. To not just wait until it blows up in our faith, in our face, or wait until relationships are so torn and so tattered. We are to be initiators of this. And far too often, we let conflicts fester. We let things kind of rumble underneath the surface, undealt with for way too long until someone blows up and people are hurt all over the place. Undealt with conflict can drift easily and swiftly to be things getting worse and worse. And as God's people, we are called to do what we can to live at peace with other people, to seek to resolve conflict before it becomes unbearable. But there's a way in which we walk towards conflict. It's not just walking towards conflict as a way to just kind of blow it up and, and before anything happens. We see how Abraham walks towards conflict. He walks to it with gentleness. He walks to it with tenderness. Abraham is a way of, of diffusing the situation before it gets all out of control. He appeals to the fact that they're both relatives. And it brings a humble solution to it. He, he appeals to the fact that they are relatives and he brings a humble, peaceful solution. Rather than approaching the conflict with kind of guns blazing and just kind of blaming Lot and all of his herdsmen, and why is he doing all this stuff? Don't you know how I've treated you well? I've brought you with me. And, and all the list of reasons why he should have been, be, why Lot should have been behaving better. Rather than unloading all these things, Abraham models a much better way of handling conflict, the way of gentleness, the way of tenderness. And it diffuses the situation. Diffuses it. Abraham models what the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 when he says that we ought to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. You see, when conflict arises, which it does, and it happens often, we have a choice of how we're going to respond to the conflict before us. One way has a way of accentuating the conflict and making it worse, blaming and yelling and ridiculing and name-calling. And another way has a way of diffusing the conflict. Gentleness, tenderness, humility. Abraham shows us the better way. And my friends, there's a better way for us to live in a way that seeks unity and resolution to do everything we can on our side of the table to live at peace with other people. So, think about the last conflict you had with a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, a spouse, a child. Did you seek to resolve it quickly? Or are you someone who lets it kind of rumble underground until it's hurtful and it blows up? And when you go to, into a conflict, do you tend to go to conflict with gentleness and tenderness? Or do you tend to go into a conflict digging in, preparing for battle as it's going to come? What difference would it make if you approached it in the way that Abraham approaches the conflict between he and Lot with resolution in mind? And can I just remind you that those that are closest to you, your spouse and your children and those you live near, those you work with, can I just remind you that in, while conflicts may arise, they may come up, can I just remind you that they are not the enemy? 
to be beaten up, to be ridiculed, to be name-called, or to be shamed into submitting to your will? Can I just remind you that they are your family, that they are part of you, and that we can do what we can to live on our side of the table, to live at peace with other people. And my prayer for us is that we would be people who handle conflicts wisely with our children, with our spouses, with our friends, and that we would be people who initiate conflict resolution with gentleness and tenderness. Well, there's a third quick thing that we notice in this, in this little crisis, and that is that Abraham expresses confidence in God throughout the whole thing to provide and to be truthful to his promise. Abraham sees things from an, uh, not only a human perspective, but from an eternal perspective, and he focuses on the way in which God has promised to provide all things for him. And God had promised that the land would be his in inheritance. And Abraham expressed deep confidence that God would indeed stay faithful to his promise. That God would actually act on Abraham's behalf. And like I said, Lot, on the other hand, fails to consider that eternal perspective and and fails to consider the danger of settling near cities where people are wicked and, and are sinning left and right. And rather than viewing it from an eternal perspective, his view is earthbound and temporal. We don't get any indication that Lot prayed or asked God's direction, asked God's insight when making this life decision. And so may I just suggest for us that when we're seeking to make a life decision, a decision that's, that's large in our world, that we seek God's counsel, that we hear from him, that we not just make a decision based on the immediate or the earthly or the temporal perspective, but we make a decision that's confident in the eternal perspective of what God has promised us. Abraham and Lot, like I said, they represent two kind of polar opposites when it comes to making life's decisions. Are we confident with God's provision or do we seek to kind of manufacture our own assurance and our own stuff that we can do? With every life decision that we have before us, there comes a great need for us to have the discipline of being obedient to the ways of God rather than just what's immediate in front of us people of faith, people that follow after God, when we make a decision that's a kind of a life decision, what we're going to do, we need to seek to be faithful. And how does this help us be faithful to God and, and prioritize our relationship with God? Or does it undercut our relationship with God? If a decision that you have before you compromises your walk with God, it's a bad decision. Regardless of the apparent positives Regardless of what's there, the long-term kind of cost is not worth it if it undercuts your ability to be faithful to God. So a few questions. Will this decision help me be faithful to God? Will it help me to be an active participant with God's people in his kingdom's work in this world? Will it stretch me to rely on God to provide for me? Or will it just keep everything comfortable? Or will it pull me away from God and from God's people? Will it pull me away from being actively involved in what God is doing in this life and in this world? And if a decision is more along those, then it's a bad decision, regardless of the apparent positive things. There's something more important than making more money or advancing your career, finding the next romance. None of that will compare. None of that will matter if it distances us from God. 
And we need to exercise discipline in seeking God's direction. What does he want from us? A good definition of faith, as we've been seeing in Abraham, is that faith is trusting God. Faith is when we trust that God will be obedient, God will be faithful to his ways when we are obedient to him and his ways. And as with our life deepens with God, we can exhibit larger amounts of confidence in what he has promised and what he has done for us, that he is always faithful, he is always present, and he is always good. See, I don't think our biggest problem is that we don't hear from God or we don't know what's right and what's wrong and those kind of things. I think our biggest problem is that we struggle with doing what he has commanded us doing. God leads us on a journey, walking with him, deepening our faith, our confidence in God, to get our eyes off the, the, the temporal or the earthbound and to bring our eyes up to the eternal in order to change our hearts to be people who are not self-reliant, but people who are God-reliant, people who are following after him. So my prayer for us this morning is that we would learn from Abraham, that we would guard our hearts against the tyranny of greed, and the ways in which it demands all of us, that we would push ourselves towards greater acts of generosity, greater and greater acts of generosity, and that we would handle the conflicts that come our way both wisely and graciously with humility, and that we would be confident in God to be faithful to his promises, that he would give us the courage to be obedient to the ways of God in our life, And that when we make life's decisions, we would make life decisions not based on a temporal point of view, but with eternity in view. And it would make all the difference in the world. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are once again grateful, humbled, and in awe that you would come to us, that you would invite us to a life with you, and that our life would be abundant and full Give us the courage to walk in faith with eyes that are clearly set on you rather than on the things here. Help us to handle things appropriately. We pray that you would be faithful to us in the midst. It's in your name we pray. Amen.